0: Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome back to the Right Take Podcast. I am your host, Mark Tapson. Please forgive my recent radio silence. It seems like it's been a long time since my last podcast. The reason for the hiatus is that I have been relentlessly occupied with making the move from Southern California to the Dallas, Texas area. That's right, I joined the texodus of people abandoning the failed blue state of California and seeking freedom and prosperity in the great red state of Texas. I believe I've spoken before on the podcast about making this move, but over the last month, I've been insanely busy getting packed up, driving my family across country, and unpacking here at a much more affordable house that is twice the size of the place I left. It's on a lot that is at least four times the size of my former California home. And I don't say that to boast about it, only to point out that this very reasonably priced property, if it were transplanted back to California, would be completely out of reach financially. My wife and I have a lot of kids, and we long ago outgrew the house we were in So we needed a much bigger house on a much bigger lot. We got vastly bigger bang for our buck in Texas. And that, of course, is one of the prime reasons for my move. But it's not the only reason. I'm actually originally from the South, having been born in Little Rock, Arkansas. But I've spent my entire adult life on the left coast, nearly half a century in that state. I never thought I would move back to the South again. But hey, things change. What changed? Well, a lot of things. In the couple of weeks that I've been here in Texas, I've been asked a number of times by people here why I moved from California. And I tell them that I moved for the same reasons that literally hundreds of thousands of other people left California. That under the thumb of corrupt Democrat rule, it is becoming a third world country. Crime and homelessness are out of control. It's a terrible place to raise your children, it's a place increasingly hostile to the middle class. It's a place where it's become impossible for even the middle class to afford a decent home in a decent neighborhood. The cost of energy is astronomical. I could go on and on. And there are no signs that that's going to turn around in the near or distant future, or maybe ever. And then there's the wokeness. I want to raise my children in a state that isn't suicidally proud to be on the cutting edge of the ideological insanity that dominates the Democrat Party. Gender theory critical race theory, progressive brainwashing in schools. Even though my wife and I homeschool our kids, I don't want to raise them in a community and state in which my family and our fellow homeschooling Christians constitute such a tiny isolated island of sanity and truth, especially because things are only going to get worse in California until we're at the point where we begin to be persecuted for our non-woke resistance because that day is coming. And yes, Frankly, to one extent or another, that's going to happen no matter where we are in America. We won't be able to escape it. But for now, Texas is higher ground. Anyway, living in California finally became so untenable that, like hundreds of thousands of other Californians, including a growing number of my friends who had been leaving the state for years, my wife and I began to look elsewhere. The Los Angeles Times reported that people leaving California between April 2020 and In July 2022, outnumbered newcomers to the state by more than 700,000. California's net move-out numbers reached a record 407,000 between July 2021 and July 2022. And in 2022 alone, more than 340,000 people left California, the highest exodus of any state in the United States. California has actually been losing its residence to other states for a long time, ever since uh, 2000, in fact. The primary reason is that California is the second most expensive state in the Union. Hawaii is number one. According to Zillow, the average home price in California is now $747,400. That's up over $200,000 just in the last five years increasingly high costs of living and housing and transportation coupled with an increase in crime and drugs pollution and congestion they've just caused countless fed up people to relocate between 2021 and 2022 roughly 818,000 California residents moved out of state that's according to the US census bureau and in that time frame Texas was the most common destination for former Californians. Businesses have also been on the move out of California. A 2022 report by the Hoover Institution shows 352 businesses leaving California and moving their headquarters to a different state between 2018 and 2022. High rent, high taxes, high cost of living for the employees, and bureaucratic BS. There are just a few reasons for that. Dallas, the area that I moved to, has overtaken Austin, Texas as the top spot for people moving from California to Texas. Housing costs are significantly lower in Dallas, as you might imagine. And then there's the lack of state income tax in Texas. That's a lure also. Okay, so that's why I made the Texas from California. Because instead of the paradise that that state should be, Democrat mismanagement ran it into the ground. So... Coming to you now from just outside Dallas, I'm happy to say I'm back in the saddle here at The Right Take with great guests lined up in future episodes, including conservative talk show superstar Larry Elder, Babylon B CEO Seth Dillon, black conservative professor Carol Swain, and more. So stay tuned. But today I'm flying solo, and I want to address a couple of items in the news that I think are worthy of discussion. First... I saw on Breitbart News recently that a Rasmussen Reports survey reported that 4 in 10 Democrats agree with the idea of removing statues of George Washington. While the survey did find that 77% of Democrats expressed at least a somewhat favorable view of our first president, 40% of them at least somewhat approve of removing public monuments of the man known as the father of our country. Of that 40%, 21% of Democrats strongly approve of removing those monuments. Now, this is hardly shocking news. Of course Democrats are okay with tearing down statues of our founding fathers. They've been literally toppling monuments of the important figures of our history for years now, and it's still ongoing. The disturbing and disappointing finding of that uh, Rasmussen report for me Was that 19% of Republicans and 20% of independents, at least, somewhat approve of removing public statues of George Washington? One in five Republicans approve of removing statues dedicated to arguably the most important man in our country's history. 19%? That is shameful. That number should be zero. Zero Republicans should approve of taking down statues to George Washington. That just goes to show how successful and subversive cultural Marxism has been in our country. That even one in five Republicans have been so brainwashed by the anti-American, neo-Marxist left. My patriot friends, we have a lot of work ahead of us to turn the tide and roll back the ideological damage that's been done to Americans over the last half century. And it looks like we have to begin within what should be the very party of conservatives itself. Former President Trump predicted years ago that the radical left would begin targeting the founding fathers, including George Washington. During a press conference back when the left was in a frenzy of tearing down statues of Confederate figures like Robert E. Lee, Trump said, and I wish I could do a credible imitation of Trump here, but anyway, he said, This week it's Robert E. Lee. I noticed that Stonewall Jackson is coming down. I wonder, is George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Trump asked. Well, the answer is that it doesn't stop. The left never rests. They never sleep. They never stop. As my friend, the writer Michael Walsh is fond of saying, we on the right have to be equally as vigilant, if not more so than the left in order to counter their offensive. Another item in the news that I wanted to address has to do with a courageous protest carried out by a single Christian man who is fed up with our pagan culture's anti-Christian bigotry. An article uh, originally at the Republic Sentinel noted that members of the Satanic Temple of Iowa —yes, there is a Satanic Temple chapter in Iowa— recently received permission to install an exhibit on the first floor of the Iowa Capitol near Christmas displays of the nativity scene. This included a statue depicting the idol Baphomet holding a pentacle and surrounded by candles. Michael Cassidy, a Christian and former military officer who recently ran for Congress in his home state of Mississippi, tore down that satanic display, beheaded it, and tossed the head in a trash can, for which he was arrested. He actually turned himself in to police officers, and he was charged with fourth-degree criminal mischief. He told the Sentinel that he destroyed the shrine in order to, quote, awaken Christians to the anti-Christian acts promoted by our government, unquote. He said, The world may tell Christians to submissively accept the legitimization of Satan, but none of the founders would have considered government-sanctioned of satanic altars inside Capitol buildings as protected by the First Amendment. He went on to say, anti-Christian values have steadily been mainstreamed more and more in recent decades, and Christians have largely acted like the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water. I saw this blasphemous statue and was outraged, Cassidy said. My conscience is held captive to the word of God not to bureaucratic decree, and so I acted. Cassidy uh, cited First John 3, 8 as an additional motivation for the destruction of the statue. Quote, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, unquote. He noted that Scripture exhorts us to think and act like Jesus Christ. Cassidy, who served as a Navy pilot and works as a flight instructor, previously ran for Congress in Mississippi, as I said. His campaign website describes him as a Christian conservative who loves our nation and is committed to preserving the blessings of liberty. Now, this incident raises a serious issue. What about the separation of church and state? What about the perceived hypocrisy of conservatives who condemn the left's tearing down of monuments, as I did earlier in this episode, and who then turn around and tear down monuments that they don't like. Conservatives are a little bit at odds with themselves over this. Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds remarked in a statement that she found the display absolutely objectionable, but said that the best response to objectionable speech is more speech in a free society. Iowa Republican State Representative John Dunwell, who is an ordained minister, said that as a follower of Christ he found the statue objectionable, but said he does not want the state evaluating and making determinations about religions. Others, however, questioned whether the Constitution or the Founding Fathers would allow for the existence of this satanic shrine. Andrew Walker, who is an associate professor of Christian ethics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, asserted that the state should not promote any, quote, outright celebration of evil, darkness, and perversity, and that moral evil has no intrinsic rights within a Christian and historically Western legal framework, unquote. Now, one of my favorite writers is Rod Dreher, who is the author of books that I highly recommend, like Live Not By Lies and The Benedict Option. On his Substack page, he addressed this whole controversy and issue, and he said, quote, the United States is a country now where we oversee the removal of statues of figures, even founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson, whose statue was taken out of New York City Hall in 2021, that the woke find intolerable. But we erect statues, however temporary, honoring Satan. Dreher went on to say he's personally troubled by this in the sense that he believes that a diverse society like ours requires a significant degree of religious tolerance. But, he writes, the abstractions of liberalism must reach a limit at some point. We reached and passed it a long time ago with regard to the teaching of sexuality and gender theory to children under the guise of tolerance. And the construction of a statue honoring Satan crosses the line that I think none of us should be willing to cross, says Rod Dreher. He adds that he believes, of course, that Satan is real and that there are and will be real-world effects to honoring Satan in this way. If Christians believe that Satan exists, then you would no more tolerate that vile effigy in the legislature than you would tolerate a statue paying homage to Adolf Hitler. Michael Cassidy understands that the spiritual power of that evil statue is real, and that there are higher obligations on the Christian than are allowed for under liberalism's rules. And Dreyer writes, if, even if you don't believe that Satan actually exists and you consider him to be merely a symbol, then why would you tolerate this statue? Because he symbolizes ultimate evil. Religious tolerance has worked in America for so long because nobody ever thought to push the boundaries like the Satanic Temple does. If sustaining liberalism Means tolerating an image honoring a deity who symbolizes things like the rape of children, Auschwitz, the gulags, chattel slavery, and any and all evil you can imagine, then to hell with liberalism, Rod Dreher says. He goes on to write, liberalism, by which I mean classical liberalism, of the sort that both the Democratic and Republican parties support, requires a particular set of values of virtues within the population in order to work. We are fast losing them and might have already lost them. If being a good classical liberal means I have to tolerate reverence in a public space to a God that stands for evil, then I am not a classical liberal. Classical liberalism is not an end in itself, but rather the most efficacious means to achieve a good society not a society that is the most virtuous, but one that balances virtue with the reality that diverse members of that society will differ on what counts as virtue. There is no society that can be called good in which an effigy of Satan is honored in the public square, unquote. That was Rod Dreher again. And like him, I wrestled briefly with the philosophical contradictions here. But in the end, I have to wholeheartedly endorse what Rod Dreher was saying, and what Michael Cassidy did. Classical liberalism should not be a suicide pact. A society that gives equal weight to good and evil out of a misguided sense of fairness and tolerance and diversity will eventually be overrun by evil. Michael Cassidy took a stand in defense of the good over evil, and I stand with him. Now, I've been in contact with Michael Cassidy's people or his reps and I'm arranging for him to appear on an episode of the Right Take podcast. So keep your fingers crossed and stay tuned because that will be an important conversation. Speaking of important conversations, thanks again for joining me here at the intersection of politics and culture. Don't forget to subscribe to the Right Take so you don't miss any of the important conversations we are having here. And remember, if you like what you hear, please leave a review. It really helps, and you'll have my eternal gratitude. Be seeing you. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.